Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl that dumped me twice in a week? And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. How does one redefine culture? I don't know, Turg. How do you do it? Well, before we get into that, let's start by defining culture. And Randy, I think you put it well when you define culture, because I've <laughs> never defined it like that before. I'm not going to talk like you anymore. This, this is just too awkward. But for me, in, in its simplest form, culture is just the way we do things. So would that mean by you trying to talk like me, you're trying to do things embodying, while embodying my culture? Yeah. Yeah, I am. That's deep. Truly deep. And I like how you tried to be a part of my culture. <laughs> all inclusive? <laughs> all inclusive. So if culture is just the way we do things, and we all know it goes beyond just the way we do things, how does one redefine this culture as a generation? How have we as millennials redefined our generation? Well, is it is it redefining or is it just adjusting? No, it's redefining. But how do we know, though? What's the difference? What's the difference between a cultural shift versus redefining versus... I was trying to think, like, going back to what you talked about, like the MLK stuff, and that's like a cultural shift, right? Mm-hmm. So what would be the difference between a cultural Cultural shift? icons. Yeah, well, yeah, not cultural icons, but another, like, change in culture. Evolution, have, a cultural have, evolution. Yeah, same thing. Redefining culture is essentially possible because it's evolving into something else. Paradigm shifts is what you might be looking for. A paradigm shift, a shift in a paradigm, and a paradigm shift. Okay. <laughs> Saying it five times does not make it any it more comprehensible. It absolutely does. So we have different ways of really influencing culture, right? We have so much more now than we did when we were growing up. Are you talking influencer or are you talking just in possessions and what we've attained? So I, I was talking in terms of influencer okay, and how that person is able to actually change people's minds in order to reform the way people actually do things, the way they carry out day-to-day doings, okay, goings-ons. Okay. And just having channels to really reach a mass amount of people opposed to traditionals or traditional patterns in the past where you had to have the network behind you to get the kind of... Or the community, yeah, and, and where it was more localized and now it's globalized. Mm. And this is a recurring theme for the reason that it influences a lot of what our generation tends to digest and consume in terms of media. And this is very important because this fact alone helps bring about the identity crisis that we've been facing as Grown-ups, I guess you can say, right? When you say identity, how, how are you – what do you mean we're facing a crisis in the sense of how we identify ourselves, like we've talked about in the past, by your career, or just how interpersonal we're able to be in developing organic in-person relationships? So within the realm of culture, I feel like this embodies everything, right? How okay. we do things in every realm. So kind of taking that and distilling it down into a very simple form is just – how we identify with whatever we are in that moment, right? Throughout whatever we're doing. This changes. There is a convention as to how things 
I guess should have been. But that got all thrown out the fucking window after, you know, the, the economic collapse and the reformulation of the American economy and the growth and, and the continued growing pains that we endure. Reality stars now our president. That is definitely a big part of it. And you can even argue that he is an influencer in the most prominent way. You could probably be an influencer, right? He is the leader of our free world. I think being the leader of the free world was definitely the influencer of any generation, but they didn't have a title for it or didn't see it in that particular way. And I think he takes it to a whole new level, the way he's redefined how... (laughs) how information is disseminated to the citizens. Right. Yeah, as we've seen in recent weeks, with a single tweet, I mean, he can literally tank the stock market. I mean, we've seen this in the past, but it's it's becoming kind of uh, old, right? It's only been 100 days. I mean, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be 120 days. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But how do we define that influencer, right? Uh, so we can look at uh, redefining – and the people that really redefine the culture that drive cultural change are cultural influencers, whether it's in the music and arts, whether it's in politics, history, um, science, technology. We have different leaders of change. They just come in different forms. And actually a lot of these leaders can cross over throughout different realms. So, I mean, let's take 45 for instance. He is an influencer in – a great way and a horrendous way. The, the the great is the fact that so many more people are now getting active and wanting to get involved in taking control of their local government. And they're, you know, being involved in politics and getting involved in just the experience, the American experience, right? The downside is that it's coming at the cost of how other nations are now either A, viewing us or B, interpreting us as an incredible threat. Right. You've, you've mentioned before, I don't know if we've talked about this on air where you feel, I don't know if you, we'll, we'll cut this if you, if you don't, but you feel like for any significant change to really happen in our culture, in our, in, in, in the American experience, we, our government has to fully fail before significant change can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that people are getting far more involved and are, being their own advocate in their community is is proof that we didn't have to get to that point unless you see where we are right now is just a complete and utter failure in a societal systemic uh, presence. Not yet. And I'm going to cover this real quick. I don't think that our government can fail right now because there's too much self-interest. So there are people too heavily involved to let it fail because if that fails, they have nothing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that we're there yet. We need a spark. We need someone that comes in that can evolve in the face of a changing environment, that can develop a new consciousness, that can draw others in based on shared views or experiences and unite a, a, a group of people to go ahead and incite that change, to, to, to start the, that change. They will be the catalyst. They will not be the end-all, be-all. They will not be the answer, but they will be the spark. So are you saying that 45 could be that spark of – what brings about the person to come into that uh, prevalence? Let's take a very extreme example. What sparked our kind of the what 
what sparked the globalization of the American culture, the positive or the negative? Are you talking about the Tea Party? Recently. Oh. <laughs> I think within the past 15 years. Are you talking about 9-11? Absolutely. Because if it wasn't for that, we would not be where we're at today. 100%. Because mm-hmm. a lot of propaganda goes into that. Whether or not there's propaganda, well, there's always going to be self-interest, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which is what uh, propaganda, how the propaganda originates. But whether or not there is propaganda, there's always going to be somebody pushing for one, one side, right? And pushing real hard. And we as a nation came together and we pushed real hard. And we made our voice heard. And as a result, what happened? We are the directly responsible for the events in the Middle East. Every single last one of them. There's no way that that could have happened had we not gotten directly involved. Now, I know I'm getting on a tangent, so I'm going to wrap this up real quick. Okay. The reason why we are in the state that we are today and fearing the people that we fear today and fearing the cultures and, and the people that we fear today is because of the events that we set in motion over 15 years ago. I have one question before we wrap that up. Wasn't there still unrest in the region before we got involved? Yes. But that also goes into uh, the Taliban being funded by the CIA or is that? It goes beyond anything that we're probably aware of. Okay. Right. So I I don't want to get into that per se. What I wanted to say was we have essentially single-handedly redefined culture for billions of people across the world just by that one act of war, Mm -hmm. which I guess we ended up saying it wasn't a war and then it was a war, then it wasn't a war, and then it stopped and started like a million times. Congress never declared it war, so therefore it was not a war. It was like a... Uh, operation. It was, it was right? an ongoing conflict. Right. There you go. So with that, we single-handedly redefined culture for billions upon billions of people across this world by influencing, by evolving, by developing a new consciousness, and by drawing people in based on shared views or experiences. And what those shared views were was a hatred toward our country because of what they did. They interfered in affairs that weren't that did not belong to them. So we influenced on a global scale billions of people without even really knowing it, without really looking at the history books and saying, hmm, how many of these great empires have fallen and why have they fallen? They've all fallen for the same fucking reason. Why did Great Britain fall? Same reason, unrest. Unrest took over all their, all their colonies. And all. Okay, so I'm getting on a tangent. But if we, looked at the, if we simply looked at the history books, this is what I wanted to say. We can cut all that out. We, if we simply looked at the history books, we would have learned an important lesson. And we didn't. So by influencing the global culture, we have influenced our own culture to be a little bit more fearful, to be a little bit more unwilling to accept. Now, instead of progressively evolving toward the positive, we've regressed as a nation. I mean, that was a culmination of, of years of it's easier to listen to what someone has to say than to do the research on your own. And I think that's where the, the influencer comes into play, whether it be mm-hmm. socially or politically. It's right. easier, you know, we could be talking a product or we could be talking about how we're supposed to not like or not trust Muslims, which is right. ridiculous, right? right? But it's easy to say, I follow Turgan. I know he knows everything there is to know about tech and servers or computers or other cases. So if he says, or you put a post on Instagram saying, oh, you should buy this particular brand or this hard drive, 
then I'm probably going to go and buy it, right? That's right. if I'm in need of a hard drive. But if you're telling me, and I'm not going to do any research because I don't, you know, I just don't know the background. So. And I and you don't need to because you trust in that person and their views. Right. That's what influencers do. They build trust. And that trust is a foundation for a lot of people just saying, you know what? I don't care whether this person is right or wrong. I trust their viewpoints based on my own experiences and my shared views. So I'm going to go ahead and trust everything they say, whether or not they're right. And what we saw on the campaign trail last year was just that. Interviewers going around asking, how do you feel about Trump's view towards women? Oh, you know what? I don't really much care about that. I'm already kind of decided on what who I want to vote for. So I'm going for Trump, America. That was the most subtle yet awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we saw a lot of, right? It was. It really was. And it was disturbing. It's, it's blind faith. Well, no, I mean, that's that's the whole thing between blind faith or a deeper issue is the the alternative candidate would have been a woman. Yeah. And and in that people were not apparently ready for a woman. Indeed they weren't, but they were ready for a guy with no political experience, which really tells you where we were at as a nation. Exactly my and, point. And yeah, that's a great point to make because that was a culmination of where we've been leading up to over the past 15 so years. Because of our anger, because of the fact that things remain unresolved because we haven't found the answer to our the question that's that's plagued us for the past almost two decades. So this comes back to 45 bringing about the biggest influx of millennials getting involved in local government and making a push for office. I know there's a couple people in my in my network that have been running for, for local positions, mm-hmm. uh, which is nothing that I've ever seen before. I guess it's kind of twofold. It's a coming of age for our generation. Right, but identifying who we are and what role we want to play, identifying our purpose. Yes, but you have counties across the U.S. where there are people that were elected that are in their early to mid twenties. You know, that's that is, I'm just not familiar. So for me, that's unheard of. Yeah, I, we'd have to find some kind of statistic to back that up and and say, hey, you know, this is kind of unprecedented. But I would say I would go out on a limb and say that is because a lot of times people associate politics with. The older, established, right, somewhat upper middle class to to upper class, the people that have the network or have the time or have the money, right. So it's almost a perfect storm, mm-hmm. right. And right now, people are able to leverage the fact that people are just fed up with what they know that they want to try something new. And that might not be the answer, but it might be the path toward finding the answer, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to know the answer now. We just need to know that we're on the right track to get in there. How will we know? Will we ever know? I don't know. You know, because I've, I've actually talked to a couple of friends that have worked on political campaigns and I've asked them questions and they start, you know, it gets very discouraging when they say, well, you have, you have no experience here. You have no experience there. How are you going to you know, get into this? And I, and I think we're at a place right now where the lack of experience is okay if you're willing to put in the work to learn and to meet the needs of the people that you're representing. Uh, and I think there are people out there that have that kind of background and that kind of desire and that push. And it's going to take them having the audacity to pursue and persevere, even though people in their party may not want to see that happen because it goes against the standard, so to speak, or the, the precedent. And if it's going to take those people to be pushing, going against the grain, really, in order for us to see a, a cultural shift in our political system within the next four years. 
And I feel like we absolutely will. And the reason being, how do you remember Americana growing up? I didn't know what Americana was. I thought it was just a genre of music. Okay. Yeah. I I only found out recently when I started f- trying to really figure out how I identify, right? I look a certain way, certain color of skin, certain background because of my family heritage, mm-hmm. but I've grown up a very American experience. Take it for what you will, as, you know, what American is because it's so, it's a, such a broad experience. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Right. You're absolutely right. And, and Americana for me was very, a lot more innocent uh, when we were growing up. And I guess it, it was kind of a product of, of a child, childish mind um, being naive to the world, being naive to what was going on. And now that we're a little bit more involved and in, engulfed and these decisions impact us on every level possible, it's hard to avoid them. That has a big factor in it. But for me, growing up, it was a lot of identifying with the melting pot, creating my own culture out of what I knew and what I brought to the table and kind of guiding myself to accept everything around me as part of my culture. That was Americana for me. And, and that did lead me down the same, a very similar path toward, you know, I, I grew up very Americanized. But when did you learn about Americana? as far as that being something you could essentially identify with or as? I think it was probably in high school. Not until you have a consciousness of the world around you, right? Until you start kind of understanding. And in class, you talk a lot about current events. Well, I don't know about a lot of people, but we did in, in high school. And that helped kind of bring things around and kind of give things meaning to why there were certain actions and reactions in the world and why why we might not have a full-on grasp of the reality that we actually see in front of us. See, for me, I, I think I struggled a lot because in elementary school, I went to private school, right? So I, I guess it was more so you're, we identify as Catholic. That was kind of our thing. When I started getting aware of my otherness as far as being of Mexican descent or Latino, then I started getting into subcultures within the Latino community, right? And I, I thought I could identify as Chicano because I'm American born of Mexican descent and it's very specific to the Los Angeles region. Wow. But that's, it's just not my experience <laughs> at all. <laughs> but you tried, you tried your, to, to force a square peg into a round hole, so to speak. Right, right. So must've been painful. <laughs> they had, they had its moments, <laughs> but <laughs> I think I think it wasn't even until we started having this discussion where I was like, I think I identify more as you know Americana as as American, not more even a, with Americana. Yeah, well, see, I see Americana differently, and Americana is the contributor of and to the American existence. So it's like a forever evolving kind of thing. Yeah, it does forever evolve. It does, and it has to, right? Mm. Americana is created by the people that are creating American experiences and history, and we're all. We all come from different walks of life. And that on its own is the definition of an, an, a real influence in our lives. That is the definition of Americana. Americana is an influence on all of our lives. Whether or not we consciously identify with that fact, it is there. It is kind of the underlying part of all of our lives. It binds us, it unites us, joins us in a shared vision because we are living Americana every day. Whether or not we're on, you know, 
one side or the other, we are part of this multifaceted element that binds us as a nation. I feel like that's very special. And it makes my heart very warm. <laughs> are you serious? No. But I do feel that it is very special. That is something that I mean. And it the reason being is because it's been such a, a large part of my life seeing my parents, you know, uh, come to this country and build something from nothing. And now my opportunity to come into this country and, and take it the next step. And my kids to come in and take it even farther than that based on the influences that they've had in their lives. They are creating their own Americana that is now lending itself to their development, their growth, their evolution as part of the American culture. So really thinking back to a time when it was much simpler and Americana meant a lot less, but more at the same time, how would you say it's changed? I'd say the technology has been the biggest proponent in propelling our society forward. But that only comes with the artists and the creators and how they use the technology once it's available. Then versus now, what differed then? We had technology. We didn't have technology that we have yes, now. no. We don't have the technology we have now, but we had technology. How did that technology help reshape Americana then versus our technology now? It's accelerated. Okay. Versus back then, it was a little bit more slow-paced. It was a little bit more crude. There was a lot less to take in, so there's a lot more unity in thought. Now there's so much individuality because there's so much more out there to consume that it allows people to develop an individual consciousness. And actually, you can argue that technology has driven Americana farther from being true unifying Americana, or it has redefined Americana entirely by creating an Americana that is now solely dependent on independent thought. Isn't that ironic? I mean, how is that even going to work? Is it, are you, well, first, how do you say that it's predicated on independent thought? It's not predicated on independent thought. It doesn't rely on it to formulate an origin. It just allows for that as an existence. As an avenue, yeah. As an option. Maybe that's what we have to realize. What's that? That Americana will never be the same as it was when we were growing up. And maybe we have to shed that nostalgia. But I mean, isn't that the basis of the Americana? That it's never going to be the same as what it was. But knowing our generation and our unwillingness to accept change that deviates from what we know, right? How is that a thing? We're bringing back techno. <laughs> what? Yeah, we brought it back. It's essentially the next evolution of disco. Right? Am I right? No, I don't think so. Not techno and disco. Very similar. I think EDM is the next evolution of disco. Sure, whatever. Okay. I guess that's semantics to you. Yeah, it is. It's a stretch, but okay. Electronic death metal? Yes. <laughs> that would be a cool genre. And goth trap. I like goth trap. I know you do. I think Loki Absol's album is goth trap. Don't know who that is. He's on TDE. He came out. Don't know what that is. 
They're, they're based in Compton label. Don't know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at Compton. Dun, dun, dun. I found his talent. True story. What? I found him. Who? Who's that guy you were talking about? You thought I was going to repeat the name for you? Damn it. <laughs> Damn. It's a very 1980s reaction. So you think everything is going to be re... I don't think we... I had a fraternity brother in college that said every trend that we encounter is cyclical. It just takes on a new form, right? A new modern form. That's an accurate statement. Right. He very much believed that he could predict the future trends of tomorrow simply by analyzing the past, and he was able to do so. What he did with that information, I have no idea. I was going to ask, how did he prove that to you? He is now a, um, what we would call a seeker, and he time travels throughout different dimensions. It sounds like something out of Harry Potter. Close. Anyway. Learning this and, and kind of taking that perspective to heart a little bit, I started looking at it as a passive observer of cultural trends and taking a look from afar at what was going on and trying to relate that to my life. And it started making a lot more sense. Look at what's making a comeback now. You got Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles <laughs> and even He-Man is you know out there and Voltron is on Netflix and... You got all this stuff from when we were growing up, now making a comeback. Now, whether or not that has to do with Americana, true Americana, it is culture. It is not necessarily how we do things. Culture has a lot to do with nostalgia as well, right? And what we had growing up and how that formed our our likes, dislikes, you know, uh, the sort. So this coming full circle allows us to realize that when our kids grow older, what we like is going to be back in the forefront, right? Because it is still here. It's never going to go away. Everything that we grew up with is not going to go away. The stuff that we like is going to be popular when they're older, along with a lot of the stuff that's popular right now when they're, when they're here, as well as the same line of thinking, the same line of thought, how things are done now in our culture, but amplified to the future. I mean, imagine what it's going to be like when they're older. See, the only thing I think about with that whole sentiment is quality of work, right? And any anytime people talk about the quality of work or craftsmanship or artisan, they always talk about how it used to be done and no one does it that way anymore. And I I see people in our generation or at least the previous generation, you know, people born in the 70s, give or take, that are really trying to hold on to this old style of doing things when there's, there's it's not really an old style, it's just that's the most efficient way to do it handcrafted, bespoke, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. It's a lost art just because people aren't as interested in having those things, those relics. So I could see maybe your kids or the kids of your kids wanting to be able to do things. Maybe podcasting will be different then. And though mm -hmm. we want to do it mm -hmm. the, you know, old school way with a 2012 MacBook and, and two condenser mics, <laughs> you know, when they could really just record it on their phone and, and do whatever, probably even more simpler in the future. There's always going to be a tie and there's always going to be a racket that's associated with it. A racket? A business plan to exploit it. Okay. Right? That's what I thought you meant, but yeah, I needed you to elaborate. Yeah, no problem. There's always going to be something to come back 
and 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 play on nostalgia. Beauty and the Beast coming back as a live motion picture mm-hmm. that brought in a new younger generation and it brought back the older generation. Yep, full circle. It just goes back to the idea. Like, there's no new ideas. It's just new ways to present them. And that kind of bothers me. There are new ideas. There are. There are definitely new ideas. But are they really new ideas? Or are the smarter people, are the sharper people, are the people that are way ahead of the curve just really big fans of history? To where they can look at the past and say, how can I take this idea or this concept or this event and make it now and bigger and use the resources and tools and people and minds and knowledge that we have now? I don't know. I I see where you're coming from, but I think it all comes back into an influence. What they liked as a kid or something that really stuck with them going into adulthood and how they want to reappropriate it for their current experience or the current generation. It's just like upcycling stuff, right? You can find reclaimed wood and reclaimed wood is something that's just something that's been aged. And now it's been, yeah, your table. Thank you for being on your table while I'm talking. Now <laughs> there's reclaimed wood that was probably from, I mean, this, this table here that, that you were knocking on, that was probably taken from what? Some old barn or probably, I mean, what's something local that people were yeah, reappropriating? Probably. Yeah old furniture or beams from a house, whatever. But that's just to bring back. Now Now this becomes a vintage piece in a modern era. Right. And it's the same concept. It's, seeing, it's just seeing how you can reuse something in a different way. Yeah, that's very true. And when we start running out of things, what do we do? I think that's when we might hit our kind of like the, the, the wane of society as we know it. I, don't, I think there's going to be a mix of, of new inventions and creations like the electric car. But until then... Was that really new? It wasn't. It no, wasn't. No. Again, was but it new? It, it was someone that improved upon better. the model and made right. it better, right? It, but there's always going to be something that's going to be something new or something that's revamped. You know, I had a crazy thought just now when you said that, is that every time we've had something new, the quintessence of something new, we've had a new resource associated with that. Which, give me an example. The electric car. Okay. Way back when, when it was first made available, not mass produced, but actually conceptualized, electricity was still relatively new. Uh, trains, coal, yeah. new resource for energy, right? Steam, based off coal, steam engine, new, based off steam. We've always had steam, but I guess they just took it and made it better, right? So I, I don't know where that thought was going, but it always seems like there's a resource. No, it's just when they when they learn how to repurpose something that's already been in existence. That's what it comes down to. That's ex, that's an exact perfect example. Steam has always been there, but they didn't know how to make it into. Uh, would it be a combustible engine? No, steam engine. Be, right? Steam engine. There you go. Don't look at me with that face. <laughs> <laughs> I am not an engineer. <laughs> you don't got to be an engineer to know steam goes in a steam engine. <laughs> Apparently you do. I guess so. But not to take anything away from that point because it was very poignant, I guess we really have to have a greater eye on the future by looking at the present. Mm. And that's a call to everyone out there. Take a look at what you have now and find out how to make that relevant for the future. If you want. You don't have to. You don't have to. Because you don't have to. Who are we to tell you? Right. Yeah. We're too... But Nobody's. if you just want to twist and be like, I knew that was going to be a thing. And here is my tweet from 2017 when you want to hit us up like in 2020 or something. I think Twitter in like 2020 or 2021 or something will be like AOL Instant Messenger by then. 
I think it'll all the old people will be on it. <laughs> well, yes, and that's where they get their news. <laughs> Trump is still tweeting, probably. Yeah, he's if if he doesn't ruin Twitter, Twitter will ruin Twitter. It's one of the two. I think it's already happening. And it's sad to think that Twitter might be gone soon. Well, in the meantime, you can still find us there. Turg, where can they find you? You can find me at Turg Says No on Instagram, which will probably not go away anytime soon, and Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at I am Randy Z. And with that, we say, fuck millennials. Oh, wait, fuck God. We keep going back to that. <laughs> yeah, keep moving forward. And with that, we say, fuck Americana. Americana. That should be our thing now. (laughs) Just Just fuck fuck everything. everything. (laughs) That's what the show's going to evolve to. (laughs) Talk no fucks to me. Talk fucks to me, you mean? No, talk no fucks. I give no fucks. Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure you stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on iTunes, and if you really like what you hear, make sure you hit that donate button. Really appreciate it. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turk. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. Time to do it, the or network. have the money to do it, or the people or that the have network. the money, right? Yeah. We just said talking over each other in the exact opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> do that again. So, Randy, do you want to go ahead and define culture for us? Oh, you already did that. Yeah. It wasn't. It didn't grab me. <laughs> so you made me do it again. <laughs> Oh, shit.